It's mind-boggling, isn't it? I'm talking about the rapid advances being made in technology and social media. As parents and youth workers, it's essential that we not only keep up with these changes, but that we also develop biblically faithful strategies for helping our kids and their families navigate the use of these tools in ways that bring glory to God and advance our human flourishing. Knowledge, caution, and wisdom are necessary. That's what we'll address as we chat with Chris Martin about his new book, The Wolf in Their Pockets, 13 Ways the Social Internet Threatens the People You Lead, on this episode of Youth Culture Matters. From the Center for Parent Youth Understanding, this is Youth Culture Matters. If you're a parent, youth worker, educator, counselor, grandparent, or anyone else who cares about kids, we're glad you've joined us for this practical, informative, and hope-filled podcast. This is a place where together we talk and think Christianly about the rapidly changing world of today's children, teens, and young adults. Well, welcome everybody to another episode of Youth Culture Matters. I'm Walt Miller here at CPYU, and it seems like as we talk about youth culture, there are a couple of things in youth culture right now that are developing quickly. You know, we, we go to sleep at night, we wake up the next morning, and all of a sudden there's there's this new stuff there. I mean, for us, one of the things that's really developed quickly that we've been talking a lot about lately are matters of sexuality and gender. Obviously, if we had been doing a podcast 10 years ago or even five years ago, we might not have talked as much about that. It wasn't at the forefront of our minds as we think about youth culture. And then secondarily, anything related to technology and Really, here, I mean, there are things happening in the world of technology that is just unfolding fast. I think back to Gordon Moore and Moore's Law, that famous, you know, from the early 1960s when he was working with Intel and he held up a circuit board and said to his employees there, thanks for your good work. You know, because of your good work, we can put X number of components on this circuit board this size. And because of your continued good work, Let's just wait another year. It will have doubled, and that's become known as Moore's Law, just exponential growth, and it is happening and happening fast. And we know that youth workers and parents, you are on the front lines of guiding kids into a faith that's integrated into all of life, and certainly our faith in God needs to be integrated. Our discipleship needs to be integrated into the world of technology, social media, the devices we have, Uh, all sorts of new things on the horizon. And I can think of nobody that I'd love to talk to about this with more than Chris Martin. So Chris is joining us. Chris, we've had Chris on the podcast before. I think it was way back in episode 147, if I'm not mistaken. And we talked about how social media is uh, shaping kids, what we need to be aware of as parents. And we talked a lot about his book, Terms of Service, The Real Cost of Social Media, which Believe it or not, is um, it's not that old, actually. It was just last year, 2022. He's got a new book coming out that we're going to talk about. Chris Martin, welcome. So good to have you here. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. It's great to be back, and I uh, so appreciate our conversations and um, glad to glad to talk about these things that, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, as when I go to events or, or speak with parents in my own student ministry, because I help lead the student ministry at, at my church, um, these kinds of things that, that we talk about here are, are, uh, often require the most attention. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm glad to, glad to be here talking about it. 
Without a doubt, just remind folks, Chris, of, you know, a little bit of your background and what you're doing now and, and you know, why you're writing about these things. Sure. So I've been like, you know, graduated from college and in my career for 10 years now. And everything I've done from a career perspective has been related to creating or the facilitation of the creation of online content. So I, I live in online content creation. Um, I spent seven years at Lifeway Christian Resources in Nashville, Tennessee. I still live in Nashville, but the last uh, two and a half years or so, I've been at Moody Publishers, which is based out of Chicago. Um, and in both places that I've worked, I've always been having my hands in helping use social media and, and online content for good, for the building up of people, helping spin up podcasts like these or um, more text-based resources and that sort of thing. And so I know this stuff from a professional perspective, I guess you could say. Um, I also know it from a personal perspective, having been born in 1990, my dad worked for IBM when I was a kid. So we had computers far earlier on in the 90s than a lot of my friends did. And so, you know, I was I was poking around, learning, tinkering with computers and the internet, you know, when I was in first and second grade, before I knew really how to get into any trouble. Uh, and and learning how these things work from a er very early age and was, you know, an adolescent very much targeted by MySpace. So I really, you could say I'm kind of like a first generation social media user. Like I'm, you know, I was kind of on the four just from even a personal perspective. Um, and so, and I was an avid user and I have always just found it fascinating and, and certainly used it more foolishly as I was younger. And now in the last seven or years or so, as I've been studying social media more from a sociological perspective and and more from a like formation perspective. Um, I've written a newsletter for the last few years called Terms of Service, which the book got its name from. Um, that's really just purpose to help Christians examine their own relationship with social media. And if they lead other people, help help them lead people as they're being discipled by social media. And so wrote the book Terms of Service uh, published in February of last year, like you said, just about a year ago. Um, and that's when we last talked and that really terms of service. And we'll talk more about the new book in a little bit, but terms of service, I always have kind of described it as like a mirror book. It's meant to say, Hey, I'll help you examine, Hey, what's my relationship with social media and, and what's it doing to me? What's my relationship with social media doing to me? Very much a mirror experience. Whereas this new one that we'll talk about later called the wolf in their pockets is more of like a magnifying glass book. It's more of a, what's social media doing to the people I lead and care about and disciple? And and how can I better lead, care about and disciple them uh, as they're being formed by social media? So Terms is more reflective and this one is more kind of proactive and, and practical and, and helping lead other people. So um, that's kind of where I'm at. I currently serve at, at Moody Bible Institute in Moody Publishers specifically. Um, doing a handful of tasks, editing books for theology. I have a, an MDiv from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Um, so I'm editing books for theology. I'm running an online content site called Bible to Life, where we help people who are searching for faith-related questions in Google and trying to give them reliable answers uh, through search engines and things like that. So anyway, that's a little bit about where I come from and, and what I do and kind of, I guess you could say, where my expertise comes from working with online content and social media. Yeah, now I I'm, I want to say a couple of things. I have a question for you. I, I want to remind listeners that uh, Chris Wagner here at CPYU in the show notes, he is scribbling already. Everything you've mentioned, Chris, uh, he's going to put in the show notes so people can connect with that. And I, I want to recommend highly the the email you send out, Terms of Service, which is excellent. I mean, just giving, for those who aren't really tracking real well on their own with what's happening in the world of social media and technology, 
Uh, you provide some really good snippets and summaries that can be read very quickly. And so, youth workers, you've got to get that, sign up for that, and parents as well. So we'll, we'll include a link in the show notes to that. Um, the, the question I have is, and this is an aside, because I don't remember asking you this before, but with a dad working at IBM, now I can see you, but I don't know if you're on a PC or a Mac. Yeah. yeah. What, what are you doing question. there? So it's so funny. I wish you could see me. And I suppose, you know, if we pause the podcast, I could turn my, because I have a detachable you know webcam, I could show you, but I'm, I'm working on a Mac for work. Okay. I could do, I could do either, but some of the applications I use work better with Macs than PCs, but I have my own personal PC tower right down here on the floor. Yeah. And, and my, my, my mouse and keyboard for my personal PC are sitting here on my desk right behind my work my work Mac. So like here, I'll even show you the, the listeners won't be able to see this, but for you, uh, I have, I have my Mac keyboard right here yeah. and my PC keyboard right here. Uh, so I'm a dual, I'm a dual user. And so, yeah, yeah I, uh, grew up on PCs, obviously big, big PC household, given the IBM, uh, connection, but now even my, even my dad does both. And so he's got a personal MacBook that he uses and an iPad and all that. And then he, still works on a PC though. He, he doesn't work for IBM anymore. He works for a different organization, but yeah, he's still a PC guy and has adopted some Mac products himself. So, yeah, I, we, we have fun talking about that here because we're, we're PC based. Um, Chris Wagner, he, he is like, he is adamantly against Mac products. I have no idea what drives that for me. It was, you know, teaching for so many years on the youth ministry circuit, still doing that when I stand up and people go, you study culture. Why do you have a why do you have a PC laptop? What's what is going on here? And I, you know, so I've dug my heels in just to irritate other people. There's nothing, you know, beyond it, just beyond, you know, me wanting to irritate others. So anyway, but you you and your dad, man, that is conflicted. That is you you both I know, I know. A house divided against itself. Man. I know. I, I look is... I think both you know, I think both have their place, you know. And I what I do love if if we're gonna go this aside, what I love about the Apple ecosystem is just how how things just kind of work. Now that's not always yeah. the case. Um, as I see Chris kind of smiling and shaking his head there. Uh, but you know, I, I have my Apple headphones and I just open them up out of their case and I don't have to do anything. They just immediately connect to my computer. And then if I, if I pull up my phone and I'm like, Oh, I want to take this phone call. They just immediately connect to my phone. It's very convenient. I, I like it. And, uh, I tend to be a, if I'm going to own one thing, I'd like everything to be a bit streamlined. So, you know, if I wasn't an Apple guy, I'd be an all Google guy, you know, like I'd be a, which is funny. Like if, to, to not we don't need to belabor this anymore but i am much more in favor of of like google software than i am than i am apple software like i hate apple software so i don't use apple software but i use apple hardware so even yeah i'm a bit maybe call it hypocritical whatever i'm gonna pick and choose based on whatever works the best and i just think apple's better at hardware than software but anyway i'm glad you have the time to do that i just man, we, we, as soon as you you know like as soon as you said ibm I, my brain started working about your dad were you thinking that too chris he was thinking the same thing so yes. i had to go down that road so apologies to listeners but those of you who've been around us know that this is always fun for us to you know when we're doing podcasts or even you know in seminars and things to have these little these little tiffs. It's really fun to, to go there. So, yeah. so, so, um, all right, you and I, I, and I told you before we started to record, I was really disappointed about this probably about a month ago, you and I were scheduled together on a Monday night at a reform youth ministries, youth leader training in Nashville to sit on a panel together to talk, um, and give our opinions 
and our thoughts on what are some of the big changes coming in culture. Uh, unfortunately, I was on a plane at 1045 in the morning and they would not pull away from the gate because we had a bad tire and uh, that plane did not leave till the next day. And so I missed out. I got there on another airline late, but I was so disappointed because I wanted not only to meet you face to face, but to sit on that panel and hear what you had to say. You very, very kindly, and this was not at my request, but you put out a uh, post here on your terms of service. It came in the email. My answer to a pressing question, you put it out on Valentine's Day. And it was about your opportunity to speak to the youth ministry staff folks at the RYM Youth Leader Training. And you were talking about what you're seeing as uh, what's coming. And so could you talk about that? Because I thought this was brilliant just from your perspective. And it's always good for us to have a sense uh, from people in the know, right, of, you know, just what's your sense of what's coming and how can we prepare for that? So I'd love for you to just rifle through that a little bit. I think that's a great, great start for us as we as we chat today. Yeah, yeah. As, you know, as I continue writing this newsletter, I do it every Tuesday and outside of taking off some time for holidays and such, I've been doing it for three years now. I was like, oh, man, I finished speaking at the RYM event and and I don't, this wasn't because I was the only smart person on the panel. The other two people on the panel, I think are far smarter than I am, but like most of the Q and a time was directed at me and around the matters of social media. I think just because it's such a pressing issue. Um, and I was like, man, I really think it would be helpful if I shared just like almost verbatim, really verbatim my notes that I had written down in my little moleskin journal that I used uh, in my discussion that night. And so I did. And so the question for, for everyone who's listening, the question we were asked to address, all of us, the panelists were all given the same question to kind of answer in 10 or so minutes. And then we did some Q&A. The question was this, what is a significant or pressing issue that the church needs to better understand and address in order to more effectively reach and equip the next generation for Christ? Now, I think that there are probably a dozen legitimate answers to that question, a few of which were shared on, on stage alongside me. But you know, I knew that I was asked I was asked to be there, I think, because of my relationship, you know, with social media and studying it. So I was like, I think it'd be helpful for me to answer regarding, you know, because I'm like, well, uh, teaching kids how to like basic biblical literacy to our youth would be really important. But like, you know, I'm not there because I'm a biblical literacy expert. I'm there because I'm a social media guy. And so I kind of colored my answer that way appropriately. And so I just shared, yeah, my my kind of verbatim notes for my notebook. So I'll just run through some of these and I can elaborate as needed and feel yeah. free to ask for any deeper uh, clarification or information. Um, the first thing I said is I said, social media is the chief discipler of our age, regardless of generation, but especially among young people. And the main case I make for that, I, I like, I don't think it's really that disputed. Now, of course, chief discipler, the Holy Spirit is always the chief discipler in that it, the Holy Spirit is the um, most powerful discipler. The Holy Spirit can overcome every cultural issue that we face. Like, let's just put that on the table. Like we, we know that, that the work of the Holy spirit can be miraculous and overcome whatever challenge we face in culture to be sure. And I don't want to say that, you know, we're, we have to, we have to help the Holy spirit because the Holy spirit can't do it on his own. Like, I don't want to communicate that idea. Um, so, but when you just look at time, this is the main justification for what I say when I say that social media is the chief discipler of our age, in 2022, I saw a handful of studies that all returned within like 10 minutes of each other, the same stat, 
that American adults spend two and a half hours a day on social media on average. This is not two and a half hours a day on their phones. This is not two and a half hours a day on the internet. Those are different things. You know, one of the things that's not to rant here for a second, but one of the things that's most frustrating to me is I walk in this space and talk in this space and write is that people conflate phone usage and social media usage or phone usage and internet usage. These are not the same things. Like if you wanted to say, oh, we've got these teens spending three hours a day on their phones. Social media is hurting our teenagers. Whoa, that stat is not about social media. That stat would be about phones and phones and social media use are different. So let me, let's like, as if you're a parent or a youth worker listening to this, whenever you're looking at research, be very clear and important. It's important to get clarity on, am I looking at research about phone usage or social media usage? Because yes, while the average 16 year old's phone usage is probably 70% or 80% social media, um, it's not 100% of it. And so, you know, they could be using it for schoolwork, they could be using it for various applications related to other other things that aren't social media related. Um, so let's just be clear on that. But this stat, multiple versions of it, I saw within two and a half hours, um, uh, uh, the average U.S. adult spends two and a half hours. Now, the other thing, we're here talking about students and, and youth. That's the average American adult. So if you look at that and you're like, uh, the, another a common misinterpretation of data like this would be like, oh, these kids in their phones spending two and a half hours a day on social media. No, this is adults. This is adults, 18 and older. So there are, if you're thinking student ministry, you know, your seniors might fall into this category. Your seniors in high school. Uh, maybe some juniors who are turning 18, but these are American adults. So um, there's not a ton of study on on youth and social media usage in terms of time, just because studying youth is a little bit more difficult in terms of doing research and getting permission and all of that. Um, but youth, uh, people under the age of 18 are certainly using it at least two and a half hours a day, if not, if not more. So yeah. if the average American adult is spending two and a half hours a day, think about what else you do for two and a half hours a day in a given day. You you sleep usually, hopefully, for more than two and a half hours a day. And you work. If you work, you work for more than two and a half hours per day. There is nothing else outside of watching a two-hour and 45-minute movie on a Friday night. But in a common day, you know, we're recording on a Thursday, there's nothing I'll do for two and a, a single activity that I'll do for two and a half hours other than work and sleep. I'll play with my daughter, you know, that that maybe that counts. Um, but we'll be doing a bunch of different things in that time, and I'll be doing other things as we're playing. But if we're using our phones for social media, if we're using social media in whatever way, for two and a half hours a day, it is the third biggest use of our time, if you will, um, in the average day. So people aren't reading the Bibles for two and a half hours a day or reading their Bibles and praying for two and a half hours a day, nor would anybody even like, nobody's really expecting people to do that. I mean, we want people to be doing daily devotions and spend time in the word. But like I'm not expecting my, you know, my seventh graders in my student ministry to be spending two and a half hours doing that. Um, and so that's why I think as you look at that stat, like this is a, this is not an only a young person issue. I think one of the biggest problems with Christians relationship with social media and our, our, discipleship through social media is that we've relegated the matter of social media to the youth room. And I think it's really important that we don't do that. This is not only a student ministry and a youth issue. I think it is that, but it's not only that. Boomers are are in 
impacted by Facebook and discipled by Facebook as much as Gen Zers are discipled by TikTok. Yeah. Um, but but it is a young person issue. And that's why I think it's important for parents and student ministers to realize that your student, other than going to school and sleeping, and perhaps if they have, have an athletic match, is not doing anything more for more than two and a half hours a day other than other than those two things and using social media. Yeah. Hey, well, let me get some clarification here. When you say social media is the chief discipler of our age, regardless of generation, especially among young people, just to clarify here, I, I think I'm hearing you right. When you say chief discipler, you're not talking here about Christian discipleship per se. You're talking about shaping life or misshaping life, you know, forming beliefs, forming behaviors, you know, kids asking about uh, identity formation, who am I? Trying to find an answer to that question. Kids asking the developmental question, you know, what do I believe? The the process of worldview formation. I mean, you're you're talking about just teaching about life. And and w- would you say, like I'll often say to parents coming out of a Reformed tradition, you know, where they're familiar with catechesis or catechism, I will often say, you know, culture is catechizing our kids 24-7, and perhaps the you know, the the outlet, and I would agree with you, that's catechizing them the most. And when I say catechizing, just teaching about life, not not necessarily Christian faith, but it's, you know, it's social media technology. Yeah, social media, that's what I mean by chief discipler. Like nothing is shaping, I think it's just fair to say Americans' worldviews yeah. more than, than what they're consuming on social media. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think when I'm saying chief discipler, I'm, I'm saying like worldview shaper, whether Christian or not. I don't think Christians are, I think we should be more immune to this than non-Christians, but I have seen no data to suggest that we are more resistant to social media discipleship than non-Christians are. And, and we should but, be, yeah. but I don't, I haven't seen any data to suggest we don't spend less time on it. I've never yeah. seen a stat that shows, oh, well, the average American spends two and a half hours, but the average Christian only spends one and a half hours. I've never seen anything to suggest that Christians are better at pushing back against this influence than anybody else. Yeah. And I would say, you know, a void of data, you know, there's no data, as you say, uh, anecdotally, I think we're seeing, you know, what yeah, you're yeah. saying. It's, I mean, we we almost don't need the data. I mean, the data would be nice yeah. to have because maybe that'll convince some people who are data driven. But anecdotally, I mean, we're doing a horrible job, uh, not only individually in our own lives, but but training our young people and even in the church of nurturing our folks into thinking Christianly about this. Okay, go on. Yeah. So another point that I made in in our discussion at the RYM event here in Nashville is that teens are always in the hallway. Now, I I may have talked about this even a little bit last time I was with you, because this isn't something I've just developed in the last year. In fact, I didn't even develop this idea. It came from Derek Thompson, who is a really great, like people often describe him as like a data-driven journalist. Like he he writes for the Atlantic magazine and does columns once or twice a week, um, where he'll often look at data and kind of extrapolate, like here's how this affects our lives. Well, he has a really great book, that was published, man, I gotta say 2016, 15, I'm not sure, called Hitmakers, which is uh, really just a, a kind of, instead of just a column from him, an entire book looking at a bunch of different data on kind of like why things get popular, why things go viral on social media, why different songs become popular, like what makes things take off and become popular aspects of our culture. And it's a super fascinating book um, and still relevant today, even though it's probably six or seven years old. Um, in that book, he talks about social media and um, anxiety among teenagers, which the data was pretty foggy back then, and it's become a lot more clear now, the relationship between social media use and anxiety within teenagers. 
Um, but back then he was talking about in that book, Hitmakers, about how, you know, those of us who were in high school, even me, even though social media was a thing when I was in high school, the iPhone didn't come out until I was like a junior. And most of most high school schoolers didn't have uh, smartphones. If they did, they didn't have many other friends who had them. So it's not like we were scrolling Facebook on our smartphones. If anything, students were using it for games and email or something like that. So um, even for me and and you guys, since you would have been in high school before me, no offense, not trying to say you're older than I am, but I think you are. No, I think it's obvious. Um, yeah. Um, the, you know, if you were in high school before 2007, you got to leave the social pressures of high school behind at the end of the day. You know, perhaps you'd go to a school function in the evening or an extracurricular activity or whatever, but at school, you know, you're going to class, mostly in class, you're paying attention. Obviously, there's social interaction within class. But what Derek Thompson talks about is the the passing periods, the high school hallways where you're going from class to class or even the lunchroom are sort of like modeling runways where you're performing socially as you're walking from class to class. And I think anybody who remembers high school knows that most of your social activity would happen in those hallways either before or after school or going from class to class. And when you go home, you know, those of us who were in high school before social media was in our pockets, you got to kind of breathe. And and that weight of social, that social burden of performance of like, can I get this person to like me or this group to accept me goes away. And you don't really have to worry about it until you go back to school the next day, or perhaps if you had a function in the evening or whatever. And you got to rest. People have often described this as like, you went from the stage to the backstage. You had a backstage where you could let your hair down socially and be sloppy and not worry about how people were going to perceive you. Um, what Derek Thompson says is that the reason you're seeing anxiety among teenagers who use social media a lot, which is these days, most of them, is that they are always in the hallway. They never get to leave that that social pressure of performing for their peers because it's all always present ever present in their pockets all the time and there's always something beckoning them to come back and either perform or react to someone else's performance and so it's important for us as student ministry leaders as parents to recognize that that you know um anger you might see in your teen that irritability you might see in your teen might be a direct result of them feeling like they're living under hot stage lights all the time socially and can never socially rest and feel like they don't have to perform because often if they try to do that, they may be thinking, Oh, I, I could be posting on Instagram right now. I could be Snapchatting my friend. I could be missing out on inside jokes that people are going to refer to at the lunch table tomorrow. If I, if I don't participate, it's like, it's, you know, I'm not a huge NASCAR fan these days, but my dad watched a lot when I was growing up. And I remember watching a lot of NASCAR and I know enough to know that if you get a lap down, it's not usually a very good thing. You know, you get a lap down in a NASCAR race or, or any other race for that matter. You're not going to win unless there's a major wreck and you can catch back up or something like that. Um, you can feel like you socially get a lap down where, where if you don't participate, it's not like everybody's looking to be famous. That's not, it's not a matter of teenagers all trying to be famous. Sure, plenty of them probably are, but it's a matter of keeping up with the social conversation. It's like that lunch table conversation never ends and they have to always be participating or they'll miss out or they'll get socially left behind. This goes into one of the questions I was asked at the RIM event 
Um, and I'm asked, it's the most common question I'm asked by parents, especially in our local student ministry here that I serve in, is like, when should students have a phone or when should students have social media? And people like, people get mad at me when I say this because they say it's a punt, but like, there is not a right answer. I don't think now I think there's like a right answer and you shouldn't let anybody under the age of 13 on it because the apps themselves don't recommend that. Um, like they say, you have to be at least 13 to be on these apps. Um, and perhaps that age should be higher, but that's a, another matter for another discussion. The, pro the What it comes down to is which set of problems do you want to deal with when you're thinking about, do I let my 15-year-old have Snapchat or Instagram? Do you want to deal with the problems of them being exposed to content and creating content that they shouldn't be creating and be exposed to? That would be the, pro the set of problems that comes with them getting an account. You know, you're going to be having hard conversations about, hey, did you send that to that person or are you looking at something you shouldn't be looking at? That's that's one set of problems when you give them access to these things. And that that causes a lot of parents to be like, I'm never letting my kid have social media until they're out of the house or or ever, you know, as far as as far as I'm, you know, they're before they're 18. However, and I think that's fine and wise. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. What I what I think a lot of parents don't calculate is the cost of that, because the other problem on the other side is if you don't give your student access to social media when they're 15 and all of their friends have it, you may not have to deal with the problem of them consuming and creating content that's objectionable, but you will have to deal with the problem of them feeling socially ostracized, being bullied, perhaps, and all of the bad feelings that come with feeling like I'm left out and my friends don't talk to me because I can't be a part of that group Instagram DM. And so that that's, and that's no small cost. You may think, well, kid, just deal with it. Get new friends. I mean, come on. Remember when you're in high school, it's not like, it's not that easy. And so I've, I've talked with parents who are, are torn because they're like, I'm, I'm glad I haven't given my kids social media but man, it's so hard for me to see them struggle socially and be and be kind of ostracized and cast out because they can't participate in these group chats on these various apps. And so that's a cost too. So it comes down to as a parent or as a student ministry leader, if you have some say in these conversations is not, there's not, oh, this is clearly the right decision. It's more of a, would you rather deal with this set of problems or that set of problems? And I think that comes down to the kid and the parents and and just trying to navigate those things with as much wisdom as possible. But I do think that we have to recognize that if we're seeing our teams be irritable and they are using social media, they may feel like they could just be being teenagers. I was irritable as a teenager and I wasn't you know, posting on Snapchat because it didn't exist. Um, but it could be because they feel like they're under hot stage lights all the time and like they constantly be having to perform and they simply cannot rest socially. And so I, I just want parents and student ministry leaders not to let students off the hook or, or anything like that so much as just have a little bit of grace and recognize that they, they may feel trapped. And, yeah. and I think that's a very real feeling that a lot of students feel. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else, anything else you want to share from that night? Yeah, I'll, I'll share, I'll yeah. share. Yeah. I'll share one more thing. Um, the, th the kind of point I made at the end is that you can't out disciple social media with sermons and programs by themselves. Just think about it like because of time. Now I think the Lord, the Holy spirit can work through a single sermon that somebody just shows up to one time on a Wednesday. Definitely. Um, but I think when you look at, you know, students are probably spending at least two and a half hours a day on social media 
if they're really good church kids, they're probably coming to church for that amount of time in a week. So uh, you have to, I think, use your gathered time as student ministry leaders, use your gathered time in large part to equip students to be spending time engaging their faith on their own. Now, hopefully student ministry leaders are doing this already, but all of this is to say is it's never been right or okay for students to get the primary form of spiritual development at a once or twice a week event. That's never been healthy. They need to be in the word and praying on their own. But I think even more so now, if we hope to combat the influence and discipleship of social media in the lives of students, we need to be doing everything we can and exert as much effort as we can toward helping them be in daily rhythms of worship in regular life rather than just hoping to catch them once a week or twice a week at various experiences we may offer. Those things are good when we do catch them at those experiences rather than trying to, you know, just teach them, here's what James two says. That's all good. Like teach them what James two says, but also teach them how to study James two on their own throughout the week. Um, and, and teach them the importance of like, here's how you can carve out, you know, the biggest thing I hear from students is I just don't have time. You, you, you have time for what you make time for. So teach them how to manage time, teach them how to make time for 10 minutes before they leave for school or when they get home or, or whatever else. I think to the degree that we can use our gathered time in ministering to students to help them own and create margin in their daily life to be discipled by God's word and to speak with God through prayer, that that will be more effective at pushing back the discipleship of social media than just hoping that our occasional youth sermon does that. Yeah. So yeah, that. this is good. Hey, thanks for uh, catching me up on what I missed. This is this is really good. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Chris Martin, and we're going to hear about a new book that's being released uh, just as we're recording this podcast in literally, I mean, hours, days, right? So we're going to come back and talk about that, uh, a new book that will be helpful for all of us. Stick with us. If you enjoy listening to Youth Culture Matters and would like to support the ongoing efforts of this ministry, you can do so by visiting cpyu.org giving to make a donation. Your prayers and financial support make this podcast possible. Well, welcome back, everybody, to Youth Culture Matters. We're having a conversation with Chris Martin, and we're talking a lot about social media and technology. This really is in the wheelhouse for Chris. Uh, he's written a book called Terms of Service, The Real Cost of Social Media. That came out last year, just about a year ago in February of 2022. And in March of this year, uh, there's a new book that Chris has written called The Wolf in Their Pockets, 13 Ways the Social Internet Threatens the People You Lead. And as soon as I read that title, I'm going, oh, man, this is another book that I have to read. Uh, it's not begrudging, by the way. It's just the task of all these books I have piling up, and this one will go to the top of the pile. So uh, I'm looking forward to reading this. Chris, tell us about this particular book and what people can expect in this, why you wrote it. Yeah. Yeah. So like I said at the top of our last discussion, um, for anybody who may be listening who is aware of Terms of Service or or has even read it, um, I've gotten a few questions because these books are being released like almost 
you know, 12, 13 months apart. Like, what's the difference? Like a lot of people, a lot of folks just see, oh, here's two books on social media. I read the last one. I don't need to read this one perhaps. And I, I understand that. Um, I see these books as very different and I want to briefly explain why, and that'll help explain kind of the impetus for this. Um, Terms of Service, like I said before, is more of a mirror. It, first of all, it was written to be read by Christians and non-Christians alike. And I was very um, intentional about that because I think that while I wanted my Christian worldview to be present, I thought the matter at hand was applicable to both Christians and non-Christians alike. And so it wasn't written for leaders or parents or uh, anyone who's in any position of influence per se. It was really written for anybody who feels like their relationship with social media is becoming a little all-consuming and a little overwrought, and they want to figure out how to manage their relationship with social media in a more effective way. It was what I call a mirror book. Um, let me look at myself here and see what I could change about my relationship with social media. The biggest response, I talk to pastors a lot. Um, part of that's because of my job and part of that's because of me writing about these subjects. I want to always be serving pastors and church leaders as best as I can. And so I'm always kind of polling them for, um, hey, what what kind of resource in this area could you use that would be helpful? And as I was writing terms and after terms came out, the biggest form of feedback I got was we could really use a book specifically for leaders on this subject. And I said, you're right. I think that would make a lot of sense and I'd be happy to write it. So, I mean, literally, I think weeks, not even weeks, maybe a week after Terms of Service came out last year, I was well on my way to writing this book. Um, and uh, I know it was, it was before it came out, when I turned Terms of Service in six months before that. Um, and so I began early on uh, talking to pastors all along the way. I think I've probably talked to two or three dozen pastors or lay ministry leaders throughout the process of writing this. Because while I am one, I only know my perspective. And so I, um, I've i been both on staff as a student ministry uh, leader and as a volunteer. Um, and I'm currently a volunteer, whereas I was on staff three for three years, just a year or two ago. And so um, I talk to pastors from all over the country who pastor in all different kinds of contexts. I talk to a lot of parents as well. And what I decided to do is write this book that was more of like, a, I call it a magnifying glass, not to scrutinize the people that we're leading so much as it's less about reflecting on our, the reader's relationship with social media, and more about figuring out how social media is impacting the people we lead and how we can better lead and love and disciple them as they're discipled by social media. And so how I describe this book, frankly, is like Terms of Service was a social media book. This is a leadership discipleship book in the context of social media. So this this is not like a social media book. It's I wouldn't call it that. Um, it's more of a, here's how to better lead and disciple people in a context that is being mostly led and discipled by social media and relationship with the internet. And so um, as I, I sent around the table of contents to two or three dozen ministry leaders and parents and said, hey, how's this table? Of Do you, are there any topics I'm leaving out? I sent the the full manuscript out to to about a dozen people who volunteered back when I was writing it. They gave me all kinds of feedback that was very helpful. Um, and so every chapter is just about a topic. The first is about entertainment and how our desire to always be entertained is always at the fore. And how how can we as leaders or parents help our children, our students, uh, the people in our churches recognize that being entertained is not the most important thing in the world. 
Um, that that's a big subject of that chapter. Another chapter is on seeking humility on how social media is really good at making us feel like we are the main character of the world and our stories. Um, it's really easy to feel like you're the main character, but, but we're not. And, and when we make ourselves the main character, um, even if you wanted to make a logical case for, yeah, you're the main character of your life, who would it be? Your mom or your dad? or who, You can only be the main. Well, okay, fine. But when you start to think of yourself as the main character of your life, you start to see other people as subservient to you. And, and the social media, again, reinforces that. How do, we, how do we push back against that? And that can just become so insidious and toxic. How do we recognize that Christ alone is at the center of our lives and, and we aren't? And how do we help other people see that? And so like, that's that chapter. Um, Grapple with anxiety, which deals a lot with how social media, increased social media use clearly shows an increase in anxiety, not only among teenagers, but but others as well. What do we do about that? How do we push back against that? So every chapter is really just around a way that social media has warped our relationship with our faith or with other people with intense practical application. You know, if... I don't know what the average chapter length is, you know, 5,000 words maybe or something like that. I would say at least half of the words in every chapter are dedicated to practical, helpful steps of how to try to disciple away from social media's grip on our hearts um, and toward Christ-likeness and freedom from others' influence through social media. So that's just a little bit of how it's set up and, and what the point is. Much more practical than the last work, specifically for those who are leading, parenting, people who they fear may be gripped by social media more than Christ or or his word. Yeah, I'm going to ask you a question that might be a little bit unfair, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Yeah. Um, of the 13 that you mentioned there, is there one that in your mind really sticks out like, man, this right now today is the most urgent it's a great question, and I'm going to hedge. I'm going to give you – I'm going to answer your question directly, but there's another one that I have to say okay. because of how prominent it was in the writing. So as I was writing, I asked – one of the questions I asked pastors and leaders in those like two or three dozen people I kind of interviewed with a Google form of like, please answer these eight questions, and that will help me as I'm writing. One of the questions I asked was, how have you seen social media – influence the people in your church like what is what is one or two topics you have seen people basically like shaped toward um what's what's the fruit of social media's discipleship of your people and i didn't i did not tint it good or bad i was not looking for bad answers or negative you know bad fruit i was somebody could have said oh it's really helped people keep in touch with their families you know somebody could have said that they didn't but they could have said something like that so this was this was open-ended an open-ended question open-ended there were no multiple choice yep totally open-ended i had not even shown them the table of contents yes this was helping me build the table of contents actually um i think 98 percent of the people maybe all but two or three said that the most prominent fruit of social media they have seen in their churches is the embracing of some wacky conspiracy theory. Wow. Um, they didn't say around, like some people were specific around certain topics. You know, this was during COVID. So perhaps it was something about that or or perhaps around like stuff regarding politics. Yep. But most of them did not specifically say what about, like there wasn't like, oh, that, oh, they're all just answering that one thing. No, it was the most, con- and then there was kind of a box like, please explain. 
And the if I could like, you know, a composite image of everyone's ex explanation was yeah, I mean, like the the degree, you know, I'm speaking as a pastor here. The number of times I have been approached by people after a sermon in the last two to five years about, hey, pastor, great sermon, but did you know X, Y, or Z? Have you heard? Da, da, da. Why don't you bring that up? Like, are you are you scared to bring it up? Like, why, why don't you bring this up and talk about it? I think it's super important that we talk about conspiracy theory A or conspiracy theory B. And the number of pastors who said, basically, you know, I'll occasionally have people come up to me and either encourage or criticize me about what I preached on or whatever. But the the degree to which I'm getting people coming up and asking me, just like, I saw X on Facebook, why don't you talk about it, has grown astronomically in the last few years. That was the most common answer that I got. Yeah. So I, I think that is, depending on your place in ministry, that is a, you know, a youth pastor is not going to hear that quite as much, but a senior pastor may be hearing that kind of thing quite as uh, a good bit. I, and I totally could see that. I think the most important thing, I mean, that's really hard. I think the most important thing for students, it's got to be either chapter 10 or 11, chapter 10 being understand sex and chapter 11 grapple with anxiety. Mm. Students are being discipled by social media toward a lot of different topics. Um, you know, they're like, it's like, which of these topics are students, students worldview being shaped on the most? I think sex has got to be the biggest one. Um, that's probably age dependent, you know, maybe not for your 14 year old, but probably for your 17 year old, you know, it may vary. Um, but I think, I think the topic of sex is one of the topics on the four with regard to how social media is discipling students. But then that's like the topic that's probably most relevant but I think, I mean, there's new CDC study. I forget, man, I, I'm going to botch this percentage. Over half of teenage girls have reported having a severe bout with anxiety or depression in the last year or something like that. I don't remember the exact stat. Perhaps Chris can get the study. It's, it's quite new. The CDC just released. And there are social scientists like Jonathan Haidt at NYU, right. who's one of the most well-respected, who's fine. He was like, I'm finally comfortable saying as putting my reputation on the line, that social media use of it causes anxiety in teen girls. You could only ever create a correlation between the two. Yep. And he's been on the hunt for this for a while, oh, ever yeah. since he wrote yeah. The Coddling of the American Mind. We may have even talked about it last year. It's It's yeah. been a thing for a while. But he's now confident saying that there is a causative relationship between the two. And that new, new study from the CDC was kind of, I think, the linchpin for him. And so I think that while social media is not discipling students thoughts about anxiety, though there is also some data to show that they're self-diagnosing their anxiety disorders because of social media, which is another topic. I think it's giving them anxiety and giving them mental health problems without them noticing it a lot. Yeah. And so yeah. that's where I think that one is important. So topically, sex, probably. But in terms of like vast area of impact, anxiety may be the biggest one, frankly. Yeah. Yeah. But see, I would agree with you on that. And, you know, you're, I'll remind listeners, you're entrenched, right? You're working now as a volunteer in youth ministry. And these are yeah. the things we hear. And it's funny, as you mentioned, Jonathan Haidt, you know, we always, we always intuitively, we know what these things are, but there's some unwritten rule that we can't say anything about it conclusively until we have the data. And the problem with that is by the time you're able to say it conclusively, you've lost a lot of time in yeah. terms of, you know, ministering to kids or, you know, taking steps yep. to undo this. People will say, oh, it's not a problem. Show me the data. No, it is a problem. I'll show you this young friend of mine or, you know, this yeah. person over here. And I, like you, I mean, we hear, 
I was sharing here in our office just in the last couple of days some stories that have come up um, that are just gut-wrenching about kids, the relationship with social media, the attachment to it, the addiction to it, um, sextortion, um, you know, just all this stuff that's on the rise. And, of course, a lot of people say, ah, that's just the extreme stories, you know. Well, you're hearing them more and more because they're happening more and more. And our kids, we got, we've got to remember that developmentally they're not like us, you know, maturity-wise, wisdom-wise. And even with our maturity and our wisdom, like you said earlier, think about the foolishness that we as adults engage in mindlessly as Christian adults without thinking about the role that faith plays in all of this. So, yeah, this is good. I'm excited about the book. Again, it's The Wolf in Their Pockets, 13 Ways the Social Internet Threatens the People You Lead. And so that's that's coming out. We want to encourage folks to get it. And I think, as Chris said, this will help you with not only understanding your folks, but I think especially in youth ministry and even in parenting, you know, shaping uh, our awareness of what is shaping kids and then being able to shape our responses. So, yeah, this is good. Let's take another break, and then we'll come back. I want to jump into a topic after the break that is sort of, it's just unfolding so fast. It feels like it's just the last three or four months, at least from my perspective, where this has really jumped onto the uh, you know, the front and center stage of, of our culture at large, not just the youth culture. So we're going to come back and talk a little bit about an aspect of artificial intelligence that we all need to be aware of. Stay with us. Hey there, Youth Culture Matters listeners. We've been told that one of our best kept secrets here at CPYU is our one minute daily podcast, Youth Culture Today. Each and every weekday, we release a new episode that's timely, practical, and hope-filled, all for an audience of parents, youth workers, and anyone else who cares about kids. Here's a sample from one of our recent Youth Culture Today episodes. Youth Culture Today with Walt Mueller of the Center for Parent Youth Understanding. A recent news story about concrete serves as a metaphor for nurturing our children and teens into long-term spiritual growth and vitality. Scientists have long wondered why the ancient Roman pantheon and other Roman buildings constructed of concrete have remained intact for almost 2,000 years. Researchers have unlocked the mystery by comparing the composition of the long-lasting Roman concrete to our modern concrete, which tends to break down rather quickly. It seems that the Romans worked hard to prevent decomposition by using a form of limestone that actually set off chemical reactions over time to self-fill cracks and even strengthen the structure. When I read this, I couldn't help but think about being diligent with our children when they are young, teaching them the truths of God's Word over and over and over again. You see, as Jesus teaches, building them this way will set them up to endure the inevitable storms of life with an intact and strengthened faith. For more on youth culture, visit us on the web at cpyu.org. Youth workers, do your parents a favor and get them to subscribe to Youth Culture Today wherever they get their podcasts. Well, as we finish up our conversation, I want to I want to lob something out there that, uh, man, it this hasn't been lobbed into the culture. This is a fastball, and I'm I think of baseball right now because we're all baseball fans. Uh, Chris, I'm looking behind you there. Is that is that Wrigley Field? I can't remember. I probably asked you about it that is. before. Wrigley Field, and then you got those seats. Yeah, from Wrigley Field. That's yes. awesome. Yeah, that's yes. that's what what was his name? Bartman? Is that Bartman's seat or is that? <laughs> no, no. As, okay. far, as far as I know, it's not. No, I think okay. these were. I think I mapped it out one time because they sent me a little flyer, you know, a little yeah. piece of paper that said these were the seats. 
And I think it's kind of like uh, third base side, kind of up next to the dugout, I think yeah. is where these were from. Okay, but yeah. good. Yeah, I, I, you know, I still, I've had a couple of shots, not a seats made of like composite like I see there, but uh, wood that's starting to rot, but these red seats from the old Connie Mack Stadium in Philadelphia where I went to all my first first games, you know, all those years yeah. of my, my childhood and early adolescence. So yeah, my ne- I never scored one, but that's nice. But I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna throw some a lob something here about a fastball that's been thrown into our culture and that's everything related to artificial intelligence. And more specifically, there's a lot of articles that are dropping right now about chat GPT. I looked that up, you know, what's that stand for? Chat generated pre trained transformer. And it's basically this technology that you type in a question, you can ask it to make a f- picture, it can write a paper for you, you can dialogue back and forth. Chris Wagner here gave me an article today about somebody who had a, a New York Times reporter, I think, who had a two-hour conversation with a chatbot and actually put the whole thing out there where you can read it. And it's kind of fascinating because towards the end, the chatbot was telling him how much the chatbot was in love with him and just wouldn't quit. But just crazy, crazy stuff. And and there's a lot of concern about where this is going to lead and what it's going to do. So I'm going to ask you first, you know, any any sense of, I didn't explain it well, of explaining a little bit more from your perspective what this might be and then maybe some concerns, dangers, warnings, you know, let's tread carefully. We talked yeah. about some of that during the break. Yeah, Um the best way to describe it, and for that, I know how to describe it, and a lot of people would probably take issue with this because so, we're all learning so much about this in the moment as we're, you know, we're learning to ride this bike as we're zooming down the road. Um, but I think of this as like, you know, th- uh, typing a question into chat GPT is like search engine poetry, whereas typing a question into Google is like search engine prose. Um the, a lot of people, you know, have been spooked out. Yeah, like Kevin Roos at the New York Times had a two-hour conversation on Valentine's Day with ChatGPT, and by the end, it was like, "You don't love your wife, you love me," and you know all this f- funny, creepy stuff. And it's like, "Oh, is it alive? You know, are these things sentient or whatever?" And if you ask them, they'll be like, "Yeah," or "I want to be," or whatever. And it's like, look, the the best article I've read on ChatGPT came out in uh, early February. It was February 9th. Uh, by Ted Chang called ChatGPT is a blurry JPEG of the web. Um, and the the point of that is ChatGPT and other AI chatbots like it, but it's the main one right now, aren't thinking for themselves. They're returning you Google search results effectively just rather than sending you a list of 10 links that you have to click on and go read the content yourself, it's just returning the answer for you without citation. You just kind of have to take it at its word. And these things have been proven to be wrong many times yeah. in the information that they provide. And it's just giving you the information without you having to go click around on the website. So you don't know where it came from. You just kind of have to take it for what it is and and hope it's right. Some of these things, you know, you might be able to verify that it's right, but you may not. Um, and so I think we should all be like pump the brake a little bit and like, look, this, these things aren't thinking for themselves. There's a lot of, everybody wants to live in an action movie and there's plenty of fodder for that right now where it's like, Oh, these things are thinking for themselves and they're going to take over. No, no. You're asking, you're making a request. It's taking a snapshot of the internet and returning it to you with language that sounds like it's a human when really it's just read everything there is to read on the internet and it's spitting it back 
to you because it was taught how to write like a human. Um, that's really what's going on. It's a super fancy search engine and, and it can generate papers or whatever. Yeah. And that's where you know a lot of educators are concerned about this because students are going to try to, and in some cases already have tried to turn in papers that were written by chat GPT. Um, and I mean, like that's concerning. Um, I think, you know, there's just so many, so many ways to look at this diamond, I guess you could say. Um, I think there will be anti plagiarism software, if you want to call it that, like software that fights back against chat GPT created papers um, in the same way that there is anti plagiarism software that currently exists. Um, so I think, I think technology will catch up to play defense because there's a, there's a lucrative play for a company who wants to create something that can do that there. Somebody will figure it out. I, I yeah. guarantee you. Um, and, and so I, as an educator, I'd be nervous for like a couple of years until like that kind of thing comes about and then everybody will adopt whatever that thing is. And, and I think it'll be better. I think where it can start to get dicey just in terms of like broadly is and there are people who are much smarter than me who have written on and talked about these things, but generative AI things like that, like chat GPT get things wrong and perpetuate their wrongness because every time, like if I asked chat GPT, who was the governor of Georgia in 1966? And it gave me the wrong answer. And then I published an article where I cited this is who the governor in Georgia in, in 1966, Mickey Mouse was the governor of Georgia. And I published that in an article. Well, that's now been fed back into the input system for tools like ChatGPT. that the next time somebody asks that in, th in a year, one of the pieces of data that ChatGPT could pull from is that article that was erroneously publishing that Mickey Mouse was the governor of Georgia in 1966. And now it's perpetuating that inaccuracy that it started. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. And this is what, and you so know, I, just to interrupt there, I, I, this is I'm thinking about algorithms as well. You yeah. know, I mean, there's sort of a there's sort of a relatedness here where whatever you go search for, you've searched for it. Now you're, you're going to what's going to get spit back to you is more right. of what you've searched for. Right. And so and so this is why I'm skeptical. Like there's been a lot of Internet and technological fads in the last few years between crypto and the metaverse, neither of which I think have gone away. I think those both of those things will emerge anew sometime in the near future. But. I think everybody's enthusiasm about both crypto and the metaverse has kind of waned in the last year or so as Bitcoin prices have plummeted and the metaverse has been proven to not be quite as um, urgent as everybody liked to think it was a year or two ago. And I think this could be one of those things. So I'm not ignoring this chat GPT thing, but I think as people use it more, its flaws will become more and more evident. And so I don't think it'll go away. I think like like the other two fads of the last few years, um, it may, the interest and and trust of it may wax and wane in, in the near future. But I think it's something we should be aware of. The thing that I have said to a lot of people who have asked me about this is that I think there are a lot more pressing problems that we should be paying attention to, like how Instagram is discipling our 15-year-old than is my 15 year old going to use chat GPT to cheat on a paper? Like are both of those things possible? Yes. Is one of them way more urgent and likely of a problem, namely the Instagram one? Yes. And so I think that we should probably keep an eye on this thing that is coming and is kind of here, but also not quite totally developed in chat GPT and generative AI. Keep an eye on it, 
pay attention to it. Don't put your head in the sand about it like many of us did with social media two decades ago. But focus more of your attention on what's what are we dealing with now because we're still very much in the muck and mire of a yeah. social media problem that's been around for the better part of a decade. Yeah, one thing I would add to that is that some of what I'm reading now, and and let's let's just double back and think for a minute about where kids are at developmentally, and I'm gonna rewind back into my high school and middle school years, when I'm when I'm struggling to translate a, an assignment in eighth grade or in a German class, or I'm in a ninth grade you know class trying to struggle my way through math, which was that was every year. Um, you know, some of what I'm reading and, and writing papers, you know, and I've waited till the very last deadline to, to put this thing together. This is where kids who are easily influenced will probably go. And I think it, it, it warrants warnings from parents. I know that some school districts have are, are in the process of banning it. And of course, you know, you could speak better this than I can. Every time something's banned, we always want to go there. We always want to get there more. And, and there are people out there who are going to help us on YouTube you know, to figure out how to get there, you know, to, to, to skirt the borders and the boundaries and get over the fences or under the fences, whatever. So there is concern about that. But I know in the educational establishment, um, there's just there's just a lot of that. And then I, you know, the other thing I would bring up on this, and I, and I guess you, I know you've written on these kind of things, but just how, you know, our human relationships with social media, um, you know, like Sherry Turkle alone to, together, that sort of thing, um, you know, kids, to have a conversation with a chatbot is it, you're not having real human flesh and blood conversations. And if you're an outcast already or you're struggling, you know, socially to connect with people, um, it's a it's a poor substitute. But for many, it could be a substitute. I'm just thinking ahead at what, you know, some of the possibilities are. So you're right. I mean, I think we need to, um, you know, really, really pay attention to this and kind of hear. I think especially from the educational establishment you know, higher education, um, you know, um, you know, secondary education, just to, to hear what some of the concerns are there. So you, you offer some great, let's not, let's not get lost. What I hear you saying is let's not get lost in what sort of the, the crisis du jour is. Right. And, um, and, and let's keep our, our nose to the grindstone or is that, is that, is that the cliche? I can't remember. It's an old one, but you know, just keep pushing ahead on what you said about how Instagram and other social media sites are discipling our kids. So, by the way, um, you you said everyone wants to be in an action movie. This is when I realized how old I am because when you said that, I thought, yeah, I used to want to do that. And I think more now, it's like I want to be in All Creatures Great and Small because I want to live in that wonderful, you know, green, lush countryside with that music playing in the background. It tends to calm us, you know in the, in the moment. So, Hey, uh, Chris, I really appreciate this conversation. Any, any last, uh, we always end with this, you know, do you want to give a word to parents? Do you want to give a word to youth workers? You're both. So yeah, sure. Be great. Yeah. Um, I would say, um, I don't know you who, who you're, who's listening. I don't know where you're at, what, what you're dealing with, but you're doing great. Um, and, and I think, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a parent of only, uh, one and who is not quite three. Now that has its own challenges, I assure you. Uh, and and if you're a parent of a teenager, you you probably remember fondly those days. And I'm kind of yeah, like I'd kind yeah. of rather be dealing with 13 year old problems than three year old problems right now. But I'd probably be saying the opposite if I was over there. Um, and 
so I'm not a parent of a teenager, but like I said, I mean, I've been student, I've been serving in student ministry since I was a high schooler myself. And so I, I feel like I've been a parent or a mentor of teenagers for the better part of a decade, for sure. Um, I would say, try to show grace to your, to the teenagers in your care, recognize that whatever they're caught up in, whether they're consuming content, they shouldn't be uh, posting content. They shouldn't be, um, if they seem irritable and, and detached from the family dinner table, um, which is both a normal teenager thing for the last, you know, five decades, not just the last two, um, wherever your teen is as, as a parent or a student ministry leader that you care for, try to give them a little bit of grace by recognizing that they may be caught up in a social trap of sorts that they feel the need to participate in, but feel like, but recognize is hurting is hurting them, but they don't know that they can do anything about it. And almost like a social prison of sorts where um, they feel the need to be present on platforms and be engaging on things and be up to date on various kinds of media, even if maybe they don't want to be and they don't know how to get out of it. And they don't feel like maybe they can talk with you about it because they're ashamed or they it's weird to be awkward or hard or whatever. And so just, recognize because i've seen this enough in teenagers and young people beyond teenagers frankly um that they may feel sort of caught up in something that that they want to get out of but don't feel like they can i mean you, you've heard this in regard to like a drug addiction or something and i guess it's a, maybe more similar than we'd like to admit um but they just may feel like they need to be participating in a form of socialization that they know is unhealthy but they don't know what to do and that may be contributing to where they're at and all I would ask you to do is, to the extent that you can, um, try not to get so frustrated with them that they feel also a sense of pressure or shame from you that they that may just compound what they're already feeling. Do what you can to try to give them the benefit of the doubt and try to give them a little bit of grace. Um, and even if you can't get them to share with you, because that may be hard depending on where they're at in their relationship with you as a parent or a, a student ministry leader. Just try to understand them and and help them recognize that they don't have to be trapped. Or if they do feel like they have to be trapped, you'll you'll walk alongside them and and hold them up as they as they endure what they're enduring. I I was a teenager, you know, again in the MySpace age, and it was hard enough. I I remember many conversations at lunch tables that ended with friends threatening to take each other out of their top eights, you know, uh, on MySpace where you had your top eight friends and you may expel a friend from your top eight. And that was a social conflict that was rooted in social media, but we had the luxury of not carrying that around in our pockets all the time. And that was a big deal. That was, a, that's a big change. And so, um, just try to show teens a little bit of grace, even though it may be hard to do so. Um, and you may really, really not want to, cause they can be kind of mean. I, I know I was so, um, yeah, just show a little grace and recognize that they may be in a spot they don't want to be that they don't know how to get out of. Mm, that's good. That's good. Well, hey, thanks for joining us, and uh, we look forward to reading the book. Again, we've been talking to Chris Martin here, and his new book is called The Wolf in Their Pockets, 13 Ways the Social Internet Threatens the People You Lead. So we want to encourage you to get that. And as we always say, uh, Chris Wagner will put all of 
the links up for every, anything that was mentioned here during the podcast today. Chris's books, how to sign up for his weekly email. I don't want to forget, Chris, put up the uh, uh, the funnies that he sends out every every Saturday. You want to get in on the funnies. Um, thanks for keeping that, it light. The, 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 the funnies is more uh, is more popular than the terms of service newsletter, which I'm not surprised by. Yeah, but, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That's kind of a sad reality, isn't it? But um, we learn a lot from the funnies. You know, if there's some good satire and sarcasm, can really be good. So, yeah, sign up for that. Sign up for the weekly newsletter. Make sure you get his first book, uh, Terms of Service, the real cost of social media, and uh, everything else that was mentioned here. And there was a lot. So, thank you for that. Chris Martin, thanks for joining us. And for those of you who have listened in, uh, great to have you on here. Go ahead and uh, let other fo- folks know about the podcast. You know you know the routine at the end of a podcast where we say, hey, you know, like it, give us a good review, share it, whatever. Uh, that, that's very helpful to us. And we will talk to you on the next episode of Youth Culture Matters. Thanks for joining us for Youth Culture Matters, a podcast from the Center for Parent Youth Understanding. If you'd like to learn more about today's youth culture, visit our website at cpyu.org. And if you have any questions, comments, or feedback, email us at podcast at cpyu.org.